Amen. Amen. How many are ready for the Word? Let's pray this morning and invite God's presence to be in our ears and in our hearts. God, we just thank You today, Lord, for Your Word. God, we prepare our hearts to receive Your Word. And as You repeatedly said, may those who have ears to hear, may they hear, God. May they understand. And Lord, I pray that we would be that kind of a people, God, who have ears to hear, that we would understand Your Word, apply it to our hearts, hide it deep within, that we might not sin against You, and walk from this place new, changed, reformed, God, transformed and on fire for You, God, to be those Christ followers, just like they were in the early church, God, to be that radical to follow You. Everybody said... Amen. Amen. The title of this morning's message is Followers to the Finish. Followers to the Finish. We're kicking off this morning a series about God loves the lost. And we're going to talk about the lost a little bit in the next few weeks. But George Attlee was a young Englishman, and he was engaged in the Central African Mission. He was attacked by a party of natives while he was ministering, And he had with him a Winchester repeating rifle. He had ten shells, ten uh, ten loaded in the chamber. So the party comes against him, and they are completely at his mercy. He can take them all out. But he concluded that if he killed them, it would do the mission of God more harm than if he allowed them to take his life. So as a lamb led to the slaughter, he was led. And when his body was found in the stream, his rifle was found with the ten chambers still loaded. Another story is told of James Calvert. James Calvert was a young man and had a party who went out to Cannibal Fiji, one of the first missionaries to Fiji, with a message of the gospel. And the captain of the ship, as he was coming close to Fiji, knowing that there was cannibals and and all these natives on there, sought to dissuade him. And he said this, he said, You'll risk your life and all those who are with you if you go among such savages. But James had a great response. He said, well, we died before we came here. Am I willing to pay the price to follow Jesus? What price am I willing to pay? We go to the store today and you want to buy something. You want to buy that new barbecue grill for those great summer barbecues. You see the price of it. And to take that thing home legally unless one of our Walmart workers here stops you, Miss Judy, you know, uh, to take that home legally, you have to pay the price. Jesus says there's a great price to be paid for those who are willing to follow Him, to go where He is going. And Jesus, today we know, has paid the ultimate price to save us, and He counted His own cost before He went to the cross of Calvary. You can keep this little saying that I love to quote every now and then, but salvation is free, but discipleship is costly. Salvation is free, but discipleship is costly. What makes us want to follow Christ? What makes you and I want to follow Him? Is it His miracles? Is it His power? Is it His great name? Is it that I was raised in church? Is it because I don't want to go to hell and I want to go to heaven? All those are great reasons to begin our journey to follow Christ. But those alone will not get you to the finish line. I've got to be willing to follow Jesus to the finish and know where He is going. He says, follow me. And am I willing to go everywhere 
Jesus is going. Jesus tells us to go this way, will I go that way? If he tells me to give this up, will I give that up? Because salvation is free, but discipleship is costly. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Are we willing to follow Jesus to the finish, to go where he is going? And where is he going? He's going to the lost. Are you willing to follow Jesus as he's going to the lost? Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Now large crowds were going along with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down to calculate the cost and see if he's got enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him and saying, This man began to build, was not able to finish. Or, what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he's strong enough with his 10,000 men to encounter the one come against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still far away, sends a delegation ahead and asks for terms of peace. So then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his possessions. Wouldn't it be a weird thing for you to say, Jesus, I want to go to your church. Jesus, I want to listen to your preaching. Jesus, I want to, do, I want to follow you. But he says, no, you can't. Because you're not willing to go where I'm going. I wonder how many people in the church today are willing to go where he is going. Even myself to say, am I willing to do anything, literally anything that Jesus calls me to do? Do I love him that much? And do I desire to go where he is going so much that he could say of me, this young man, that young girl is willing to give up everything they own for me? You know, you read, I read these words. I've grown up in church my whole life. I, I, I played the Hot Wheels under the pew. You know, I ate my goldfish crackers while the pastor was preaching. I, you know, I've been there, done that. I've been in the youth on the back row who are talking right now. You know, I know what it's like to play church. I know what it's like to go to church. I know what it's like to just go through the motions. But Jesus says, you can't do that and be one of my disciples. Because when the gates of heaven are opened up to many others, they'll be shut to you. And many, the Bible says, we've talked about this for weeks now, they'll unknowingly think they're going to make it to heaven, but be horribly shocked. And my job as pastor, as shepherd, as one who's called to love you, is to tell you the honest truth. This is the words in red. There's no playing around these words. They are the life that gives us, it's the words that gives us true life, life everlasting. And it's a very serious call to say, I want to follow Jesus. Because look at this passage. All right, look at this passage. Multitudes have followed him, and thousands were following Christ. They were coming from other countries. Some of them walked 100 miles on foot 
just to see him, just to hear him, just to take their sick children to him. Man, because if your daughter or your son is sick, they're walking a hundred miles just to get them to him. And so they're there and he's preaching and they, they're getting ministered to by the words. And he goes, as he's walking along, he turns to the thousands that were following him, those who are deciding to stick with him for a little while longer. And he says, it's true. Are you willing to go where I'm going? You know, it's that saying that says, you know, you can talk the talk, but can you walk the walk? It kind of applies here because Jesus is setting a line in the sand. He's saying, do you want to just appear Christian or do you want to really be Christian? Because to be Christ's disciple means to be his student, his apprentice, one who patterns their life after him. And the question I was talking to one of my pastor friends this week, because a lot of people may not understand this, can you be saved and not be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Because some people do believe that. Some people don't understand what discipleship really means because this is a heavy call. Maybe that's just for ministers. Maybe that kind of life is just for pastors where you have to give a thing up or you have to give more than your 10% of tithe. Or, you know, you begin to set all these churchy rules. But can I really be saved and not be a disciple? I believe that salvation is free. It's a free gift. And the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, by grace we have been saved through faith. It is a gift, not anything you can do to deserve it. But the Bible also says that Abraham believed God, had faith in God enough to follow him and to give up everything he had. It was the kind of faith that led you to go somewhere. And that's the kind of saving faith that Jesus is calling us to have. That, yes, salvation is free, but the kind of faith it takes to receive it will cost you everything to follow him. Does that make sense today? Salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you. Do you believe God enough to follow Him where He's going? You know, he can, Jesus isn't impressed by our enthusiasm if we're not willing to sacrifice everything to follow Him. He's not impressed by our church-goingness or our tithing or even our acts of worship, even the songs that we sing. He's not impressed by any of it unless it's backed by a heart willingness to say, God, where you go, I go. God, what you do, I do. God, what you're saying, I say. Heaven and hell will reveal those who are willing to pay that price to follow Him to the finish. And where is He going? He's going to the lost. The lost. Let's look at this verse. I'm going to break it out for us this morning. We're going to talk about family, cross, tower, and the war. This, he gives this parable, this this. Uh, teaching moment, and he breaks out several examples of what it really means to be followers who complete the journey of discipleship. Followers to the finish. And let's look at the first one, family. You know, in the ancient world, uh, family was very, very important. Family came first. Family was the center of social life. It was at the center. And here in the South, we, we also believe this. Man, this is a family-centered area. You've got family-centered things to do. And everyone you have your family reunions. Many family reunions are very popular, much more popular in the South than they are in the North. And, and we are centered on our families. Man, we believe in our kids. We believe in our education system. And the, kind of the same thing was the ancient world. Commitment to your family superseded everything else. But you know what? Philippians chapter 2 tells us that Jesus was willing to sacrifice himself. Though he was equal with God, he did not consider it something to be grasped, 
But yet he lowered himself, he emptied himself to be as a man, to be as a slave, a bondservant, to become obedient to death, even death on a cross. You know what that tells me? That Jesus was willing to leave his home to make you a home. He was willing to leave his home to make you a home. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 says that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor so that he might make you rich. Not only that, but John chapter 11 says it was so he might gather us together who were once lost into one family and call us the children of God. Jesus, get this, Jesus left his family to make you a family together. Jesus left his family up in heaven, the heavenly host, the angels who worshipped him, who would never spit on him, who would never put a crown of thorns or nails in his hand, or who would never not believe him. He left all of that to make you a home, to make you his family. And so if Jesus is willing to leave his family, how can I not be willing to put aside my family responsibilities if it says do this or do that? Or if Jesus left his home, how can I not give up my own home if Jesus calls me to? Very few radically take these words. I think so often we water this down so very much because we've heard it so many times, but if we would take a fresh look at the gospel and say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, Jesus literally said this. He may not ask me to sell my home. He may not ask me to move away from my family, but if he did, would I be willing? Now, we would struggle with it, no doubt. We would, we would think through it and say, well, that's just the devil telling me to do that. And yes, those are valid things. But he says this, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Well, I tell Jesus, Jesus, I know you left your heavenly home above to come make me part of your family, but what you're asking me is too big of a sacrifice. What you're asking of me, God, to suffer through this is too big of a sacrifice. He says, If you read this, it really means this. It means that our love for our family must look like hatred in comparison to our love for God. He's not saying hate your family. He's saying love your family with everything. But in comparison, if you were to measure the love that you have for your family, your friends, even yourself, it must be like hatred in comparison to the love you have for me. I look about our our lives today and I wonder, does my family know... I love God more than them. Do my children know that I love God more than them? Does my mom and dad know I love God more than them? You know, it says something for the husband or the wife who's going through trials and circumstances for their children to know my dad, my mom loves God first in their life. I know that. I know that my parents love God more than anything. It means something to me to know that my grandmother loves God more than anything. To say that, it brings an inspiration into my life, into the next generation to say, they have put God first, and God's the center of their life, and that's He is their rock, their strong place, their fortress, their high tower. God has got to be the center of our lives, that that our children and our friends know that we read our Bible, that we love God enough to read, to pray, to study His Word, that we get on our face before Him, that we are passionate in worship, God, that, that God is everything to me. God is everything to me. Do my family and friends know 
that I love God more than them? Can, it, can they see it by your attitudes and actions? Wives, do your husbands know that you love God more than them? Ask, get to that place in your relationship with God. Challenge yourself to go deeper to that place where your spouse sees you praying and reading the Word, that they know that God is always on your lips and on the forefront of your thoughts, that you think about Him throughout the day. Because I guarantee you, when you put these things in priority, God will begin to work your family out for the better. For the better of all things that you're going through, your finances, your relationship, because there's nothing more attractive than a spouse or a person who loves God with everything they have. Jesus is telling us something because He's got our best interest in mind. So, do we love God more than our family? Do we love God more than our family? Is He my top priority? And I'm willing, am I willing to say that? Would I dare tell, do I, do I, you can't tell God a lie. And can you tell God today, God, you know I love you more than my family. The cross. He goes on to the cross. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So he talks about family. Then he goes to the cross. And You know, if you look at the the background of the cross. Dying on the cross in the ancient time was not easy. And the criminals, what they would do is, uh, you know, you see different movies, but often the typical way was they would carry their crossbeam to the actual stand. So they would have to march through these narrow streets where people uh, would, would beat them and curse them and all kinds of things. And it would take a lot of endurance and it would take a lot of courage and it would take a lot of, of, of strength, if anything. It would mentally and physically... And courage, strength, and endurance is what it took because this cross-bearing was not easy. And these criminals took this beam to the crucifixion site, and it was this humiliating public spectacle. It was an admission of your guilt, and it was before everyone. Often they were naked, so it was very humbling. And so it, you, you knew that man was guilty. And Rome was telling the world, this man is guilty, this woman is guilty. And what it did is it put you under submission. And it was this public display that I am a guilty sinner. And I have been submitted to Rome's authority. I have been brought under this authority and I have nothing left. I'm on my way to die. I'm on my journey to death. I have nothing. I've lost it all. I've lost, I'm embarrassed. I've I've been ruled over. Judgment is against me, and I have no power anymore. And Jesus says, you must take up your cross and follow me. Take up your cross and follow. You know, it's amazing to think to me that God, Jesus, the Son of God, was willing to submit himself to man's government, to be betrayed, falsely accused, wrongly condemned, even physically punished to save sinners like me. Think of it. That God in heaven would humble Himself to do that, to submit to man's government to save me. He was willing to do whatever it took. And Jesus is saying for us today, if, if He looks in Romans 5, 8, and he dist- uh, Paul says He demonstrates His love by dying for us while we were still sinners. And Peter says it in 1 Peter 2, 24, that He was willing to bear our sins in His very body that we might die to sin and lived a righteousness. By His wounds, we are healed. So when He says, Heath, you've got to carry your cross and follow Me. What does that really mean? Unless, if you don't do this, you will not be one of My disciples. You cannot be My disciple unless you're willing 
to be humiliated, unless you're willing to be broken, unless you're willing to submit to authority, unless you're willing to follow me to death, you cannot be my disciple. And when I look at my life and do I say, man, this area of my life, am I submitted to the authority of God? Am I humbly broken before an almighty God? Not because I... Not because I'm just supposed to be, not just because that, that he says so, but, but I want to be because he did it first for me. That I am captivated by a love for God that when I can see that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, was willing to humble himself, to be broken, to be made nothing for little old me. How can I dare not be broken for him? How can I dare not submit my tongue to him? How can I dare not submit my unforgiveness or my anger or my pride to Him? How can I dare not give up everything I've ever held on to? What is a cross? One author says it this way. He says, a cross is something we willingly accept from God as a part of His will for our lives. Carrying your cross is God's will for your life. Think about that. It's His will that you would do that. It means that I must die daily that I must identify with Christ in shame and suffering and surrender everything to His will. It means that I die to my own plans. It means I die to my dreams, my ambitions, my desires, and even my opinions. I die to all these things to agree with Paul in Galatians 5.24 that says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. I love what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, There are no crown wearers in heaven where there are not cross-bearers below. You're not a cross-bearer here. We will not be a crown-bearer there. Is my life going through a struggle that when I go through my day, I say, whoa, 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 keep that thought in check. Whoa, 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 hold that tongue. Whoa, 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 give that up. Don't get angry. Whoa, 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 just give because they asked you. All those things. I should be struggling throughout my week to say, Kill it. Kill that. Kill that. And it's never going to end till we see Jesus in glory. But if it's just going through life and I'm just like, you know, I'm a good person, I'm a good guy, go in there, go to church, got my wife, got my kids, blah, blah, blah. I need to be crucified. And man, it is hard. I'm going to tell you right now, it only gets harder. It is a, a bear to, to, it's a load to bear to say, I, this tongue, man, this tongue is a pain. It's a thorn in my flesh, like Paul was talking about. There's, there are things that we bear, that we endure, because there is a God up in heaven who endured so much more for me. So I want to do everything I can to be like Him. Man, I want to shut my mouth sometimes. I need to shut my mouth sometimes. I need to turn my thoughts off and just stop meditating on all that negativity and all those bad thoughts and all that depressing things. I just need to say, devil, I rebuke you. Flesh, I rebuke you. I'm just going to think about Jesus Christ who endured the cross for my shame and for the joy set before him. He wanted to know me. Man, I cannot be a disciple unless I'm willing to work on my tongue. I cannot be a disciple unless I'm willing to crucify the thoughts that I think. I cannot be a disciple of Jesus Christ unless I'm willing to bear it in brokenness and be humbled before His authority and give up my plans, my future, my dreams. This is the call of Christ. Are we crucified to ourselves in the world 
Is my whole being humbly, publicly submitted to His authority? And does He rule my temperament, my opinions, my thoughts, my tongue? And does my family, the world before me, see me broken before a holy and loving God? Am I willing to follow Him to die for the lost? That's where He's taken us, to die for the lost. Look at the tower part. Who wants to build a tower? Who wants to build, who, which one of you, when he builds a tower, does not first sit down, calculate the cost, and see if he has enough to build it, to complete it? Today, we take out a loan on the bank. We all know we, none of us have enough money to build a, buy a new car or build a house, very few of us. So we, we calculate the cost, say, well, I can't afford that, so I've got to take out a loan. Jesus, when he said, what's it going to take, God, for me to take this messed up, broken, unholy, unrighteous, pitiful people, and make them into the inhabitation of your spirit. And God says, you're going to have to die for them and shed your blood. He was willing to count the cost to build you up, to make you something. The Bible says that we are the church of God, the, the temple of the Holy Spirit. Look in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Paul says, so you are no longer strangers and aliens but your fellow citizens with the saints, you're of God's household. You've been built on the foundation of the apostles, prophets, with Christ Jesus being the cornerstone in whom the whole building is fitted together. It's growing. It's growing into a holy temple in the Lord. And you are also being built up together, together in a dwelling of God's Spirit. You and I are God's building project. We are His... You ever, you ever been to these churches where their building projects never end? Or maybe you have this, this thing you're working on in your house and you're trying to add on or do whatever. It just never ends. That's kind of like the church. He's still, remember that old song when you are little? He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. Anybody ever sang that in Sunday school? He's always working on His church and He was willing to pay the price up front. You know what? It costs a lot sometimes to build things, but Jesus has already paid the price for you to be built. He's already paid the price for His church to be completed. It's already done. It's finished. And everything that He is doing is for the building up for us. But are you and I willing to be the right sort of building material? Are you usable, moldable, able to fit into His master plan? I tell you, if there was one brick in this church, or we have a brick church, there was one brick in this row that was larger or smaller than the others, it wouldn't work. Everything has to be made to fit together for the building of it all, right? That's what Jesus is saying. He's counted the cost to build you up. Will you count the cost to continue the building of His church? To be the family of God. The, the indwelling place of His Spirit. And you can't do it alone. You can't be... One brick cannot be the whole church. You together are the inhabitation of His very Spirit. You are the light of the world, a city on the hill. You are the hope for a lost and dying generation. And He has given you the gifts, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. He's died on the cross. He's paid the ultimate price for you. And are we willing to get along? 
Are we willing to forgive and move on? Are we willing to speak life into one another and build one another up? Are we willing to turn the other cheek and and sacrifice for one another and say, I love you and I don't care how many times you offend me. I don't care if I like the worship or the preaching or the teaching. I don't care if I like the way our pews are situated. I don't care what the color of the carpet is. I love you and I love God. I'm here to give my life for the better of Jesus Christ's church. I'm here to be a, 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 a living stone. I want to be a part. Paul says that uh, repeatedly in his, his epistles that we are to encourage and build up one another. Everybody in God's building, the only people that he'll be using to build his church, his real church, there are a lot of imitators, there are a lot of fakers, there are a lot of uh, freeloaders. But only those who love Him personally, passionately, and with the highest priority, will be used in His building. God will not and cannot get the job done with half-hearted followers. Those who are willing to be one together, to build one another up, to see His kingdom come, His will be done. They are the true church. So are you the right kind of building material for Christ today? The last one is war. The last one is war. He says, what kind of king, when he sets out to meet one another in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he's strong enough with 10,000 to come against 20,000? Don't sound like good odds, in my opinion. I'd rather be on the 20,000 side. You know, the odds were against saving us. The law was against us. We were already judged. We, we condemned ourselves by, by following our own ways, by, by sinning, by turning against God. And the government, look at the world today. The government is just slandering God, just, just cursing Him from the news stations, from the pulpits, from the podiums, from every legislation in the world. They're just saying there is no God. He does not exist. He does not rule our government. We are good enough on our own to rule ourselves. It was an impossible situation to save this world. It seemed Nothing. The devil thought he had won. We were in despair. We were dying. The law had condemned us. Even Israel, who'd received the law, had failed time and again with God. But God counted the cost and knew that even though the odds were against us, He came and gave us victory. He came and gave us victory. He is our victorious king. And though he came on a donkey and everybody thought he was nothing and they thought they could kill him and slander him and crucify him and bury him and put him in a tomb, he showed them up. Let's just be honest. He is the victorious king. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 15 says that he disarmed the demonic rulers and the authorities and he shamed them by his triumph on the cross. He led us out of the captivity of sin, out of the pit and the devil, and he mercifully triumphed over the judgment that was due to us. His mercy triumphed over our judgment. And I love what I just read this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. We opened with it. That he says, Paul says that he is a God who always leads us in triumph. He is a God who always leads us in triumph. I think there are some people today who need to really remember that verse, that God is a God who will always lead you in triumph. Follow Him. Follow Him. Don't try to do it on your own. Don't try to figure it out on your own. Don't try to orchestrate it on your own. Don't try to maneuver it on your own. Follow God because He is a God who wants to lead you in triumph. And who wouldn't want to follow a God like that? But am I willing to follow and fight with Him? 
Battles are won through often a great price. You look at the world and the battles today, it's often fought through the price of blood. And we know that the blood has been shed, the victory of the war is won, but there's battles still going on today until He returns and claims His final victory. But for you and I today, Jesus is not shying away from telling you what it will take to fight in this great fight of faith. There are going to be trials. There are going to be persecutions. There's going to be injustice against you. You're going to go through pain and suffering. It's not going to be easy, but He has told you the end result. You're going to make, if you just follow Him, He's got your victory in mind. And look in Ephesians chapter 6. Paul shows us what it really takes. How do we fight? Repeatedly, he told Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Flee from this world and and pursue the things of God. Fight the good fight of faith. I don't know if you feel like giving up this morning or you feel like, man, there's a lot of things I've got to be counting the cost on. I don't don't know if I can do this or not. It's too hard, God. I I don't have anything to go on to. Yeah, it's going to be hard. But Jesus has provided everything you need to complete the journey. You don't fight against man. You fight against the devil's spiritual forces of darkness, Paul says in Ephesians 6.12. But he says, you've been given spiritual weapons that are divinely powerful to destroy everything raised up against the knowledge of God. And you put on the full armor. What is the full armor? It's salvation. It's righteousness. It's faith. Truth. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit with you, and it's to finally go spread the gospel of peace. Jesus fought for you. Are you willing to fight for Him? Jesus fought for the lost. He battled for the lost. He shed His very blood for the lost. And He says, who will not count the cost? And no, it's going to be a rough journey until the day Jesus calls you home. It's not going to be easy. You're going to have trials and circumstances and tribulations, but He has won the battle. He is a God who leads you into triumph, but you have to count the cost to follow. Every soldier knows that when they sign up for the battle, when they sign up for the military, it may go well, they may come home, but they may not. It's not going to be easy. Boot camp is laborious, and and they may go to a place that's not comfortable. They may get sent to the desert. They may get sent to snowy Siberia. I don't know. They may have to, they don't have a choice. They say, God, I've signed up. Use me. Send me. Lead me wherever. I'm yours. And he gives the same illustration. And you know, this world, it looked more and more today. You look at the numbers, and you look at the world, and you look at where America's heading, it looks like there's, it's like, where's the Christians? We're, we're outnumbered now. There doesn't seem like there's many on our side. I remember where Elijah, or Elisha, was telling his servant, and he said, God, open up his eyes to see how many's on our side. And he opened it up, and there's just myriads of angels. We're on the winning team, church. But there is going to be a cost. There is going to be a price. There is going to be a battle that we do have to fight day in and day out. But Jesus has fought it for us First, are you willing to forsake all today to go where He's going to the lost? God so loved the world, He gave His Son to give it for us, the lost. And when He died on that cross, He said these great words, It is finished. Am I willing to follow Him to the finish? To die. To myself. To my family. To my material possessions. 
even to my comfort, to say, God, if you so loved us and agree with 1 John chapter 4, I must love other people. God, if you love me that much, God, I must love other people. Because he says in the last verse, he says, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up everything. Everything. Christianity is not this weekend sport. It's not this weekend event. It's a journey to follow Christ as he seeks the lost. I had this illustration. I didn't... Think about... uh, You ever seen... It's as if there was a child, and the child had ten one-dollar bills, and we were that child. We have these ten. Dad gives me ten one-dollar bills. I got ten dollars, and there are ten of them, ten-dollar bills. Then someone comes up to us and says, I'll trade you those ten one-dollar bills for this one one-hundred-dollar bill. And that little boy just looks there, and he's like, he don't know math necessarily, but he knows he's got ten This looks like more than that one, right? And so what does he do? He holds on to the ten one-dollar bills and forsakes the hundred that he could have. And so many times, that's what it's like. It may look like I'm holding on to something so great to hold on control for my life, to hold on my comfort, to hold on to my peace, to hold on to that unforgiveness or hold on to the way I think things should have went. But God is saying, If you follow me, yeah, you have to give it all up. Give me all ten, but I'm going to give you a hundred back. It may not be the way you thought it was going to look. It may not be what you thought it was going to be. But if you would just forsake all and give it up and follow me, it it may cost you something, but the return is so much greater to follow Christ. Worship team, would you come? Forsake all. Forsake all. Followers to the finish. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Nobody moving around. Let's just allow the Holy Spirit to speak. This has been a very direct, a very serious sermon this morning. But Jesus is clear. Half-hearted Christians are no Christians at all. Half-hearted followers are no followers at all. It's going to be like those guys in Matthew 4.20, the disciples who immediately left their nets to follow Him. Because Jesus has something better. He's better. He's worth it. It's worth it to give everything up. It's worth it to give up control. It's worth it to give up that alcohol. It's worth it to give up those drugs. It's worth it to give up that anger. It's worth it to give up that envy or that jealousy or that depression. It's worth it to give it all up and and just say, God, I crucify the flesh in me. I give it all up to you. Every day I'm going to take up my cross to follow you. The battle, God, has been won in you, but I will fight every day. Lord, and by the power of your Holy Spirit, by the Word of God, because God, you so loved me, how can I not love you? God, you so loved me, how can I not love other people? Following Him to the finish, where He said, it's finished, He died. He gave His last breath. Well, I give my last breath every day, every breath that I breathe, that everyone around me knows this man is humbled and broken before God. God is his everything. He loves God more than anybody else. This woman, she loves God more than anybody else. 
She's given up everything for God. She's not even the same person. Her whole talk, the meaner actions, her whole life is different. Because God owns every cell, every fiber, every muscle in her body. Lord Jesus, we come to you today, ask you to take it. I pray that we would get to that place where we would just give it all up to you, O God. Give it up to you, O God. Just take a moment. I want the Holy Spirit just to begin to speak to you. Maybe there's areas in your life He's saying, I just want you to begin to crucify. I need you to crucify this so that you can continue to follow Me. I want you to give it all up. You've been trying to do it all on your own. been trying to control it. been trying to work it out. been trying to, to fix it. Just give it up and follow Me. Jesus. He's going to lead us to the lost, church. He's going to lead us to die for the lost. My life is not my own, bought with a price. Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I just want them to sing. We're going to do a response, but I'm going to let the worship team just sing this song. As you just begin to meditate on the Word of God, just begin to respond to Him. Just your altar between you and Him today. Jesus. Hallelujah. is on you, O oh God. Surrender If you're here today and you say, Pastor Heath, I don't want to be one of those half-hearted followers where Jesus tells me, no, you can't be my disciple. I, I don't want to be in that category. And maybe I've been kind of going through the motions. And I don't know if I died today where I would spend eternity. And I, don't, I know that I haven't been all in like I should have been. And Jesus says, if you're not hot, if you're cold or you're lukewarm, He's going to spit us out. And I don't want that for my life. I want to be all I want to be on fire for God. I want to be following Him passionately, dying to my flesh, because I realize that Jesus Christ died for me. I want to make Him truly the Lord and Master of my life today. I want to be saved. That's you. You just make a profession of faith. I want to pray with you today. If you just raise your hand, look at me. I want to have a time for prayer for you. I'm not going to embarrass you or anything like that, but are you willing to count the cost to do whatever it takes to make heaven our home? Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. you're here today and you say, Pastor Heath, I know that I'm saved. I love the Lord. But there are areas in my life, and this is all of us today, I need to begin to work on, to sharpen, to begin to prune, and just to give up and may let God begin to crucify. I just need, I have not been focused on counting the cost and crucifying the flesh. And I want to make that a 
I want to just make a commitment to God today. Say, God, I want to get back onto this. I want to kind of shake off the dust and say, God, I want to keep on walking. I'm not, maybe I've been standing still for too long, and I want, Lord, you to lead me wherever you want. That's you today. You just raise your hand and say, that's me, Pastor Heath. That's just been kind of standing still for a while. I want to keep walking forward. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Several hands, several hands. God. Holy God, you see us in our hearts, oh God. You know us very much. You know, Lord, our coming and going. I pray over every person here today that is desperate for you, God, that they would just be so on fire. They would fight the good fight of faith. God, they would push everything else aside, count the costs, forsaking all things to follow you, God, that you would have their mind, their heart, their lips, their tongue. You'd have their feet. Lord, that you would lead them to the lost. Father, you want to lead us, your church. We are the temple of God. We are supposed to be a house of prayer for the nations, for people to come into the church, to find you, into the body of Christ, to find you, to be a part of you. May we be that kind of people today who will go where you go. And Father, you said, I'm going to die for the lost. May we be that kind of a people. Not selfish, not self-centered, not thinking of ourselves, but God thinking about following our dear Jesus who went to die for the lost. Let us be serious about the call, God. Let us not wake up one day in eternity and not realize that we have missed, missed it because we've been playing church or playing games or just going through the motions, but God, we were serious about following You because we know the price we pay now will be worth our reward in eternity. Great things ahead. Heaven has not even told us what is in store for those who love Jesus and are called according to His purpose. May we live to that in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. If you are here today and you need some help in your walk with God, you want to kind of get back on that journey, see me sometime if you would like. I'm available for lunch or appointments. I'd love for you to take our First Steps Bible study class on Wednesday nights or get involved in one other. Uh, Find someone to walk with you on that journey. Keep in that prayer.